Reading with your kids. Hola, Niho, Konnichiwa, Assalamu alaikum, Shalom, Mahaba, Moni Moni Namaste, Jambo, Bienvenidos. Hi, my name is Jed Lee, and this is the Reading with Your Kids podcast. We are coming to you from the beautiful neighborhood of Reedville in the southwest corner of Boston, Massachusetts, in the shadow of the great Blue Hills. We are so delighted and so very honored that you'll join us in our mission to help all families grow closer through reading. Please be sure to tell all of your family and friends about the show. Tell your kids, teachers, principals, and librarians. And please be sure to subscribe to the show on the iHeartRadio app, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Himalaya, Ghana, Podcast Addict, Good Pod, wherever you find your podcast. Hey, quick question. Are you raising a reader? Are you ready to embark on a journey of imagination and adventure with your family? Then look no further than Dear Fam, the ultimate destination for family reading fun. Join the Dear Fam movement and unlock your child's love for reading with Dear Fam, the reading journal tracking app. Develop critical thinking skills. Set up reading goals with your child as they earn reading badges. Get notified when your child shares their reading journals. Share with family, friends, and teachers. Start your family's next reading adventure today with Dear Fam. That's spelled D-E-A-R-F-A-M. Where reading together means bonding forever. Dear Fam, now available on the App Store and at Google Play. Dear Fam. This episode of the Reading With Your Kids podcast is brought to you by Lucas and the Game of Chance, a thrilling middle grade novel written by Anthony L. Mena. It is a Reading With Your Kids certified great read. While Lucas is playing his flute at the seawall one day, he befriends a mysterious talking dancing snake that rewards him with fortune and favor. Some years later, tempted by greed and pride, Lucas loses all of his riches and his family. He now must set off on a treacherous journey through a frightening forest filled with suspense and strange creatures to find destiny. Her son, Ilion, the sun, her daughter, Luna, the moon. These celestial guardians will surely allow him to reverse his misfortune Restore his honor and win back all that he loves and treasures. This is a reimagined Greek folk tale. Lucas in the Game of Chance. It's illuminated with dramatic and evocative pen and ink drawings that provide an ideal backdrop for the dark intrigue that fills this haunting story of human struggle, courage, and resilience. You and your kids are going to love it. Lucas and the Game of Chance by Anthony Almana. It is a Reading With Your Kids certified great read. Join us right now from the beautiful state of Wisconsin. Our guest is here today to celebrate two brand new children's books, Lights Out and The Great Carrier Reef. Please welcome to the show, Jessica Strummer. Hey, Jessica, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Delighted to have you on. Uh, I, I want to start with Lights Out um, because it talks about something that I just find fascinating. So tell us all about the book. Yeah, so Lights Out is um, a nonfiction picture book based on the Lights Out movement. 
um, which is a movement to turn off outdoor lights during peak migration periods so that birds have an easier time getting to where they need to go. Um, and it actually originated up in Canada and it was school children um, played a big part in helping to spread the movement. You know, we had teachers that were having their students kind of draw pictures and um, sending letters to some of the businesses in the community. And that really helped encourage other people to, you know, turn off their lights. And then um, as scientists realized that they were becoming successful in what they were doing in Canada, um, the movement has kind of spread to other big cities in the U.S. So really the book is about um, empowering kids to kind of show them how, you know, their small actions can really make a big difference in, you know, even something like migration. Yeah. How how does light or turning off the lights help birds that are migrating? Yeah, there's a couple ways. Um, first off, the light can become distracting. So the birds, um, they navigate in a variety of ways, but part of it is by using the stars. And so when, you know, there's so much light, especially in the big cities like um, Chicago or New York, it's hard for the birds to really kind of tell exactly where they're supposed to be going. It's easier for them to be drawn towards light or towards the city and kind of get off course. Um, something that goes alongside that is then building collisions. Um, the light can reflect off of windows and the birds, you know, can't see that, you know, where they're flying and they might fly into the buildings. And, um, you know, it's a sad thing to, to be walking down the street in the morning and see a bunch of um, songbirds, you know, dead on the sidewalk. So, Really, that was kind of what started everything was the desire to try and help these birds, you know, get to where they're going, but also, you know, reduce fatality along the way. Yeah. I have to tell you, my uh, we live in in the city of Boston, but we are as far away from downtown Boston as you can be and still be within the city. In fact, the city, our fence is a city limit. And on the other side of the fence is a wildlife sanctuary. And we are on the route of um, a migratory route for a number of different species of birds. And twice a year, um, our, we will go back out into our, our yard, and it will be filled with thousands, and I am, I'm not exaggerating, thousands of birds. And it's just incredible. And I'm, I'm blown away that these creatures with such tiny brains – not only can navigate from you know one end of the continent to the other, but and 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 that's that 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 blows me away. The the fact that they can make a, a nest and every one of the nests look exactly like that. Like I, <laughs> I can't even start to think about that. But it's it's really in. It, it, I I loved sitting down with my kids and just thinking about that and realizing that that's a it really is an amazing thing and i don't know how much of it we completely understand yeah um you know for a lot of people you see the birds and they're pretty or you hear them and it's you know they're beautiful to listen to um but i don't know how many people really stop to think about the significance of having birds as part of the ecosystem and you know what the reduction of bird populations can mean for other ecosystems and so I do include some of that in the book, in the back matter, um, so the kids can kind of understand how to tie it all together. And especially if there's, you know, parents um, whose kids are more curious or there's teachers who are, 
um, maybe wanted to use the book in their lessons, they can expand upon that and help understand how migration and, you know, birds, how everything kind of fits together in the grand scheme of new different ecosystems and, yeah, just kind of keeping a balance in the world. Yeah. How did you become aware of this movement? Well, originally, um, the book I originally set out to write actually highlighted um, flyways, which are traditional migration paths. So there's four um, across the U.S., kind of, you know, one along the East Coast, one along the West Coast, and two that kind of parallel up the center um, that the birds in the, from will follow, you know, from Mexico, say, up to Canada. And so originally, um, the book highlighted those flyways, but it also included other um, issues or challenges that the birds face during migration. You know, so I had wood turbines and um, habit, habitat destruction and that kind of thing. And um, after talking it over with my agent, she said, you know, maybe we should pull that back a little bit and just highlight one challenge that the birds are facing. And um, she actually lives in Texas where the lights out movement is really big. And so she was the one that suggested that I, you know, research that to see if it would be something I'd be interested in focusing on. And as soon as I, you know, read what it was about, I knew that, yeah, she was right. That was the direction to go. Yeah. Agents can be wonderful sometimes, can't they? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important to have great people on your team. Uh, what was the thing that about this movement that surprised you the most as you were doing the research? Mm, surprised me the most. Um, I was pleasantly surprised to hear how much kids were initially involved, you know, in helping to spread the movement. That was really great. Yeah. But then also, um, so the Audubon Society in the United States, they've got Flap Canada, um, and I was, it was interesting to me to learn kind of how these organizations, um, even though the Audubon will have different ones for the different regions, how they kind of will start to work together to communicate with each other to help spread the word, um, to really kind of figure out, like, what's the best way, you know, to help the birds, not only just with migration, but in conservation um, efforts in general. So I thought that was interesting to hear, too, like how a lot of the different Audubons will collaborate and how, again, they work with Flap Canada. Yeah. The other book that you have uh, coming out is called The Great Carrier Reef. Tell us about this book. Yeah, so that one came out July of 2023, and Lights Out will come out in March of 24. So Carrier Reef's been out um, for a little bit now, and I think it's doing really well. Um, that one is about the USS Riskity, which is a Navy aircraft carrier that was intentionally sunk um, off the coast of Pensacola, Florida, to become the world's largest artificial reef. And that idea, um, I... My, you know, my kids were begging for some more TV time one day, and I said, well, if you, you know, turn on something educational. And so my youngest at the time had turned on um, the show about, you know, sinking ships, and they had featured the Oriskany. And I thought that was cool. Like, that's the biggest one. I want to learn more about that. Uh, my husband also was in the military, and so I kind of had that connection. So I was really interested in the entire story of the Oriskany. Um, and so that book is neat because it really shows a transformation of, you know, the ship that had this identity um, of being a naval ship and then going through the transformation, having it completely stripped down and then intentionally sunk, which, you know, anybody who has spent any time in a boat, you don't want the boats to sink. And here, you know, scientists are intentionally sending to the bottom of the ocean and then learning why. And, um, you know, again, seeing the transformation that's going through, but also the new identity that it receives as it becomes a home to all of these underwater creatures. 
I mean, what a great idea to take, you know, something um, that big that had served its purpose and instead of just letting it go to waste to turn it into a home. Yeah, a lot of times um, large ships, they might be sold for scrap, um, might be sold to other countries. And in this case, um, scientists had identified it as um, a ship for reefing. One, because, you know, it's it's size, it's so big. And so it really offers a lot of um, surface area for coral to help, you know, grow and develop. And then, of course, you know, different hiding compartments and things for different um, fish and whatnot. So that was one of the primary reasons why they chose the Ariskany. And, of course, then because it's steel, you know, it's going to last a very long time underwater. They were very intentional about where they reefed it also. You know, they, they did studies, they researched to see where in the ocean floor was kind of missing habitat. Um, they also had to be careful that, you know, they weren't in any major shipping lanes. Um, they wanted to be able to offer scuba diving. So they were very strategic about where they reefed the ship as well um, to be able to provide the most impact to not only, you know, animals, but then also people. Yeah. How long does it take from the time the ship hits the bottom of the ocean until it be actually becomes a real reef? Well, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what the definition of a real reef would be, but I know that divers went down not too long after it sunk. You know, usually within a couple hours um, after everything had kind of settled, they, they dove down to kind of see. Because part of um, the challenge with reefing the ship is they wanted it to land flat on the bottom. You know, they didn't want it to roll onto its side or you know, stick up at all. Um, and so they went down shortly after and they already saw fish kind of investigating it and checking it out. And so the biologists um, will do an annual study every year to kind of go back and see then what is living down there. They'll scuba dive, they'll also fish the reef to just kind of see what else, um, what the populations are looking like on the reef and how well it's doing. Yeah. What is it about science and writing books about science for kids that excites you so much? Um, for me, it's that there are so many things to discover about this world. Um, there are ideas, you know, everywhere. So too many ideas, you know, for, for any one person to write. And um, I think, you know, kids, if you ask them when they're younger what their favorite subject is, a lot of them will say it's science. And then we kind of fall away from that as we get older. You know, we maybe get into more practical areas and, you know, different career fields. And yet how many people you know, still love learning something new. And especially for kids, you know, they might not be able to leave their city or, you know, to travel to different destinations. And so by writing about science and nature for kids, you're kind of opening the doors and opening, expanding their world. Mm -hmm. um, and just, again, there's so many different stories and so many cool things. And nonfiction these days is not dry and boring. A lot of it is really narrative. There's stories um, to be told stories that can be read over and over again. And you never know then, you know, what child you might, um, how you might grab their attention and what, where that interest in what you've read to them might lead to something else and maybe what they might do with it someday. So mm -hmm. I just love that, the, you know, and there's so many different interests that, you know, kids and adults have that if you have a kid who loves space, you have such a plethora of, you know, books about space, you love dinosaurs, you love oceans, um, the nonfiction these days really offers a great opportunity to um, immerse kids into a different world. Yeah. I, I was just thinking as you were talking, um, 
I think a really cool strategy for a family as they're kind of deciding what kind of books to introduce to their kids. If you have a kid who loves a, a, a fiction book, say Nemo, and it's like, oh, I love the fish and the ocean, and this is really cool. It's like, great, encourage that, read those stories. But at the same time, pick up a, a nonfiction book about the same subject and kind of take a deeper dive with it. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I know my kids are now in fifth grade and seventh grade. And even the seventh grader, when I'll bring home nonfiction picture books, she'll browse through them and she'll read them. My fifth grader, a little bit more yet. Um, but they tend to go for the nonfiction before they go for the fiction when I bring them home from the library, which I find very interesting. And I think it's because they're still very curious and they want to learn about the world. So um I think that's a great point to kind of see what fiction picture books pique their interest and then bring home some nonfiction to accompany that. Yeah, yeah. And I'll be honest with you. There are some subjects in 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 the STEM fields that I'm interested in, but a book about that that was written for adults, it's like way over my head, and I just don't have the energy or the time to kind of dig into it. So wow, if I could pick up a picture book and, you know, check out the pictures, learn a little bit, and if at the end of the picture book I'm really excited, then maybe I'll ta tackle, the, you know, the, the, the deeper material. But sometimes all I want is just that little skim, that the little surface information I can get from a great picture book. Yeah, plus the pictures. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you make a great point. You know, as a nonfiction writer, you know, one of the challenges that I face is distilling those complicated topics down into um, something that kids are going to be, under be able to understand. Um, and I know a lot of nonfiction books, fiction picture books, um, the age ranges will vary. So there are some that, um, like, for example, Lights Out has, I would say, simpler language. Whereas Carrier Reef, I have a, a little bit more complex language sprinkled in. Mm -hmm. um, but again, all of the concepts are really boiled down and presented in a way that younger children can understand. I also write middle grade. I have a, um, a middle grade nonfiction book about how animals and plants survive wildfires coming out this summer as well. And that was a great opportunity. I started with the idea of doing, you know, a picture book about wildfires. But the more I researched, there was just too much that I wanted to include. So it's kind of neat that, um, as you mentioned, then you can maybe you find a picture book about a topic that really interests you, um, or you have children like mine who are kind of, you know, straddling the line of um, being interested in, you know, a younger reading and then maybe moving up a bit. Um, those middle grade, especially the early middle grade nonfictions, can be also a really great resource um, to kind of continue their curiosity about a certain subject. Yeah. You mentioned, you know, uh, the challenge of, you know, taking a complicated subject and breaking it down so kids and dopey adults like me can understand it. I have to, I have to tell you, I, I helped launch the Solve It for Kids podcast, and we had the chance to talk to some amazing scientists. But there was one interview had with probably the you know, most eminent organic chemist in the world. And I didn't understand. <laughs> I was completely <laughs> useless. What other kind of challenges do you face as you're writing uh, nonfiction um, STEM books? Yeah, part of it is finding credible sources, too. Um, you know, so oftentimes uh, if I find a topic that I'm interested in, I will go back and I'll look through scientific journals. And boy, are those heavy. You know, the, those can be hard to, to digest. 
And so oftentimes what I'll do is I might highlight something, um, I'll print out the article, I might highlight it, and then in the margins, I might write down my understanding of my translation of what I think I just read. And then I might follow that up with some additional research to make sure that, okay, you know, the fact that I think I'm interpreting it, you know, this is the way I think it should go and word it in a way that kids will understand. I might research, you know, a couple more sources and just make sure, okay, yes, like I can prove that if anybody said, where did you find this? Um, and so it helps kind of using different search parameters too. Um, but yeah, that's definitely boiling it down from complex to, to something kids can understand is a huge challenge, but it's fun. Are there any subjects that you're um, really looking forward to diving into in the future? Ooh, yeah. I mean, I have I have a list of ideas, and I have a middle grade right now that I'm working on that I can't talk about yet because, um, yeah. yeah. Mom is the word on, on – when it comes to nonfiction ideas, mom is the word because you never – you know, you always want to be the one to, to get it out there. Ah, yes. Um, but I do love – yeah, I'm – I'm very interested in space. I have some ideas that kind of go around space. A lot of my um, books have been about conservation and environmental movements. Um, so that's kind of been fun to explore too and just see, um, read about different projects um, that people have done that have become successful. Mm -hmm. um, I have another book coming out in 2024 that is about pelicans and the discovery of DDT and kind of the um, origins of the endangered species list. So I think um, being able to present those complex topics, too, in a way that, you know, maybe kids can relate to. Um, and I think kids these days have more awareness of the environment. I think you're taking it a bit more seriously than some of the adults. And so I think putting out those type of books is really important to me as well. Yeah. Tell us, Jennifer, where Jessica, I'm sorry, tell us where we can go to find out more about you and more about your great books. Yeah, so I have a website, jessicastremmer.com, and if you, um, the homepage on that website, then I have the covers for the books, and you can click on the book and, and kind of read more about the book itself and see where to get it. Um, Carrier Reef is available through Holiday House Publishing, and Lights Out is available through Simon & Schuster, Paula Wiseman Books. Um, and more to come on the website. Awesome. We've had a great time speaking to the author of Lights Out and the Great Carrier Reef. Our guest has been Jessica Strimmer. Jessica, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Reading With Your Kids podcast and will join us for the next exciting, informative, and entertaining episode of the show. Want to thank the folks who made today's show so wonderful. Of course, we want to start by thanking our amazing guests. Also, want to thank my team: Fatima Khan, Rory Grady, Kyoko Ito, Nick Warner, Sydney Swan, Kayla Newland, Kristen Barrett, Hannah Rose. Want to thank my beautiful wife for all the support she gives me. Most of all, we all want to thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, and as always, thank you so very much. Taking the time to make the world a better place. And you do that every time you read with your kids. I'll be looking for you in the next edition of The Reading With Your Kids podcast.